3: That's the second
1: time it's gone on. They never got home, they never got home, they never never got home, those guys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the (sighs) team. Second captain,
2: first captain, whatever. It's one of the all-time great cliched sporting moments. Two fighters who spent the entire build-up trash-talking each other and the previous half an hour or so punching the heads off each other come together at the final bell and embrace warmly, each having earned the other's respect. And the watching public then fall over themselves to express admiration for these two great warriors. Hello and thank you for joining us on Monday's Second Captain's podcast. Owen Murph and Ken at your service. Hi, Owen. You? you know what I'm talking about, guys. We've seen this a million times. Mm-hmm. Traditionally in boxing and now more particularly in other combat sports. But this old cliche. It's starting to wear a bit thin after Hay, Bellew and Saturday night. These guys are within their rights to hug each other at the end of a fierce contest, sure. Mm-hmm. Well, a contest anyway. But uh, do we really have to praise them from the rooftops for their m- magnanimity towards each other after some of the stuff they're coming up with beforehand? Like, I'm not as angry as some people are about the fight itself. It's yeah. quite taken by how really, really annoyed a lot of people seem to be with how it developed. If you missed it, David hey. Spent the first five rounds, five, six rounds, first five and a half rounds trying to take the head off Tony Bellew in a spectacularly unskilled fashion. Mm -hmm. He was lunging in like a man who'd never boxed before just trying to knock the guy out, presumably not wanting to have to end up fighting 10 or 12 rounds. Then he uh, ruptures his cruciate ligament, no, not his cruciate ligament, his achilles, I should say. Uh, Not that we knew that that was the case at the time, but that's what it looked like. And from then on, there's this weird struggle where the stronger fighter has one leg for most of the fight and the smaller... Um, albeit a smaller fighter who's put on a bit of weight for the fight <laughs> Tony Bellew stalks his opponent but isn't powerful enough to actually knock him out until uh, but he didn't ever knock him out he kind of pushed him through the ropes yeah, Frederick Tatum style and eventually got the win in the 11th round I didn't really care that much there's lots of fights that don't live up to the nonsensical hype what bugs me is what happened afterwards though. specifically the idea that we're supposed to be won over by all this Mutual respect, you know. Look at the respect they have for each other. They've put their differences aside, yeah. as though that makes it okay to come up with this sort of crap in the build-up.
4: I'm gonna you're smash not, your fucking head in. And you know, both of us know. Silly right hand. You're getting you're done. Going to this miss. right hand is going you're through going your fucking miss. head. You're going, you're going to your miss. Fucking you're, fucking miss. Head you're going to you're miss. miss. You're going to you're miss. miss. You're going to miss. All of these fucking retards know it as well. You're getting done, all of you, all of you You're all getting, you all of you, bet all your fucking money on it. Going
0: Done. All of you, a
2: fucking freak. There you go, that's uh, David Hay. That's the height of trash talk these days. <laughs> not much subtlety to it. No. Um, um, well, I
1: suppose it did it work. I mean, the, the fight seemed to be quite a big event, you know?
2: Well, my argument would be Anthony Joshua's going to be fighting in a pretty big event in a few weeks' time, and he doesn't have to do it. The idea that you have to sell the fight by using language like that, I think, is not really true, actually. Yeah, I think there's different ways of setting events.
1: Well, it, you could do a better job of it than David Hay was he doing. could you have a bit of
2: a bit of charm about you, Conor McGregor. For all his detractors, has a bit of charm about him. Well, McGregor and he's actually very funny at times. McGregor
1: is funny. This is the thing. There's I mean, nothing.
2: There's none of that with Hay.
1: Um, well, you know, some some guys just don't really
2: are charmless.
0: <laughs>
1: David Hay is a, is a you charmless said, man. Uh, it's
0: uniquely, true. I would say, charmless man. Why
1: what? uniquely?
0: I mean, yeah, he's well, he's one of the most hateful people that I've come across in sport.
1: See, I mean, I guess, I mean, Hay is, is, is aware of, of uh, you know, Mc, the way McGregor sells fights. Is, I mean, McGregor is the gold standard for selling fights, uh, like, worldwide now, I, I would imagine. I mean, who, who is doing a better job than he is in terms of hyping his, his fights, turning them into big events? So everybody's kind of obviously going to try and imitate that to the extent that they can and some guys are just going to do a bad job of it.
2: And nearly would have had more respect for the two of them if they didn't embrace after the fight, and that they didn't have this seven or eight minute long interview where oh neither of them acknowledged the fact that one of them had had one leg for half the fight, and that's why Bellew won it. It was as though Hay was going out of his way not to mention it, possibly scarred by previous experience when... He came up with the excuse after losing to Klitschko that his toe had been broken yeah. or whatever it was. But It was quite clear. He he wanted to, the interviewer to be aware and everyone to be aware what had gone on without him saying, I, I can't take anything away from Tony yeah. Bellew. And then Belly was going on as though he'd just beaten the greatest fighter that ever lived. It was pretty painful stuff. It insulted our intelligence more that they were getting on so well and so nice to each other after the fight.
1: Well, I actually felt... I mean, I, I saw... Bell, you're talking about, I, you know, I've just secured my children's His future, future yeah. which I think is, I don't know how much money he made, do we know how much money he made? Um, I haven't got the figure handy. But he, that seems—that strikes me as a, as a legitimate thing to be happy about, I mean, he's just, he's A, won the fight, B, he's made an enormous amount of money, so of course he's going to be euphoric, uh, <laughs> even to the extent of, you know.
2: I'm talking looking, more Looking here, over
1: but, at David Hay and yeah. seeing, you know, a, a wonderful guy. I mean, And potentially
2: another cash cow for a rematch. I don't see how that's going to be pulled off, but that's what they're talking about.
1: Well, you know, hopefully the Achilles knits together and, and who knows, we the can get it on again.
2: Guardians' Donald McRae knows his boxing, including its tawdry side. I'll be interested to hear his take on Saturday night. Usher McConville is going to be in studio to write off Mayo's chances of winning the All-Ireland this year based on Saturday night's performance against the Dubs at Croke Park. I don't know if he's going to write it off. I can't speak for Usher just yet, but we'll see what he has to say. We got a tweet in from Dave Higgins, one of our beloved World Service members, after Friday's chat about Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain. A great second captain's episode on the Big Dipper is the perfect excuse to post one of the greatest photos ever. Now, personally, Dave, we prefer Wilt the Stilt as a nickname, mm-hmm. not the Big Dipper, even though that's preferred by the man himself. This is the photo that Dave has sent us on here again, if you want to have a look. Ask it's you to good. identify the three men in question here and the pose being struck.
1: The three men, Andre the Giant, is on the right. Mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger is in the centre, being held up.
2: That's Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain.
1: Ah, Wilt the Stilt.
2: Dressed as the head of the Queen's Guard or whatever <laughs> we discovered his role was in Conan the Destroyer. But look how small Arnold Schwarzenegger's <laughs> made to look.
1: he looks like Alexi Sanchez. It's incredible. Um, Yeah, Andre the Giant is a large man. <laughs> That's a
0: large pair of trousers. Uh, a large pair of comfortable slacks that uh, Andre the Giant is wearing.
2: Right? <laughs> These are the kind of... Astute observations that you come to the Second Captains podcast for, right? We've just informed you that Andre the Giant yes. was a large man who wore <laughs> large trousers. It did put me in mind of a story by Schwarzenegger on the right there. Yeah, yeah, please. You're just uh, yeah. And um, the old BS report, the Bill Simmons podcast on Grantland back in the day. Arnie was telling Simmons about the time that he treated Andre. the It was around this time, and this is uh, the context. He treated Andre the Giant and the Silt to dinner during the making of Cone.
4: And so uh, Andre the Giant was the most generous. Will Chamberlain was cheap, right? He yep. was always penny-pinching. Always heard that. Always penny-pinching. Yeah. But I mean, Andre the Giant was very generous. So one day I snuck out and I said, I, 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 I have to go to the bathroom, I said, be right back. And I think then went and took the time to give the waiter the credit card. I said, don't let Andre or anyone pay. Yeah. I said, because Andre always pays. So anyway, I came back, sat down. So the waiter came and gave me the the, the bill and I was signing he says, no you make me very angry oh no arnold. and then all of a sudden he picked me up out of the table and then both then will of course joined in right away he says yeah i wanted to pay i said yeah, that's a good one yeah <laughs> they, they both are now grabbing me and they both take me out of the restaurant and they set me on top of my car on the roof which was like right outside in front of the restaurant
2: i do like the image of arnold schwarzenegger Eighteen stone—that's what it says. Could be—I'm any- sure Arnold Schwarzenegger's weight has probably fluctuated over Quite the years. Quite a bit over the
0: years. I so, thought, he's
2: yeah. six foot plus. He's a large man being placed on top of his own car yeah. for having the temerity to play to pay a bill. Yeah. always let Andre pay. I guess was the
1: everyone doing the Tony Soprano on it there. You eat, I pay. <laughs> yeah, hard to work out the. It's nice though when people want to pay for each other as opposed to you know the other alternative.
2: Looking oh. out the bathroom window also on last week's daily podcast we announced a big live show coming up next week we're off to London next Thursday March the 16th it's the Kennedy Hall in Camden in London to be precise all the tickets have been snapped up but we will be podcasting the show which will include plenty of build up to Ireland against England in the rugby and if you want to be given advance notice of all future live events why not sign up to the Second Captain's World Service if you haven't already done so you can do that on secondcaptains.com for the first time during this year's league O'Shea McConville Joins us in studio. How are you, shin Things are good. Things, Things are, are good, good yeah.
5: yeah. Glad to be back.
2: Uh, glad to talk about Mayo again, because that's what I'm going to ask you about.
5: Yeah, yeah. Po- is, it, our, our is, it too early? is it too <laughs> early to get stuck in yeah. well,
0: the Mayo on yet? We've Cork uh, on the menu
2: yeah. as well, so <laughs> plenty for you to chow down at.
5: <laughs> We will be full by the time we get off off
2: these yeah. seats. If you were a Mayo fan, would you be worried? Well, uh, <clears throat>
5: the way I looked at Mayo for the start of the year... Um, If you looked at the provinces, right, so you look at Kerry, um, Tyrone and Dublin all winning the pre-season competitions. And you look at Mayo and the way they approached it. If you're you're one of these superpowers, um, you should be winning that competition with your second team. Mm. And if Mayo have the aspirations that supposedly they have, um, then they should have been winning that competition. Aidan O'Shea shouldn't have been playing basketball. Um, and therefore missing the start of the league, um, and when you think about those sort of things, and you think of then you transfer that to the other teams, and you think, would that happen anywhere else? You're thinking no. Um, they started the league very very slowly last year, and I thought n- not to worry because you know they'll they'll come and they'll get better. It's more worrying this year because of the personnel that they're playing. Um, and the fact that they're not really, they're not really finding anybody, and this is absolutely. And I know when you say it's no disrespect, it usually is disrespect. So whatever, but you know, Andy Mourne to be the fulcrum of their attack at this stage in his career, and probably to be fair, one of the better players. Um, but that's not, that's not moving forward. So that's I, what you
2: say when you, you mentioned personnel. There, you're just not finding new people. New attackers in particular, not finding them, and, and let's be honest,
5: them. not let's be honest about it, not giving them the proper opportunity. Mm. Um, there's a, there's a couple of players in particular, Nail Sc- Scully, who's playing, who started with Dublin, but like he he actually has had a couple of poor games in particular um, against uh, Tyrone in the league. Jim Galvin left him there for the whole seventy minutes. And how much he's learned and how good he was uh the following week mm. against Donegal. And he's probably been a player that they've found uh throughout the league now. Um but he was, to, he was the O'Burn cup, really.
0: You know, he wasn't even in the squad until the O'Burn cup and he played so well in the O'Burn cup he just kept his position.
5: Exactly, but he's but the thing about it is he's been given a proper opportunity you know, he's been given what? He's, he's probably had already, on, in the Dublin jersey, he's probably had the majority of seven to eight games. And what's that, what that is doing for him? Because if you have a hunch about a player, you can't introduce him into a, an O'Born Cup team. Well, you can introduce him. That's the place to introduce him. But to introduce him with, with also with other players that you're trying, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, but he's now got the opportunity to play with the full Dublin squad or near enough. The full Dublin squad with experienced players—they're helping them along, and you can see how the improvement is happening. I, I, I just can't say that about Mayo, and and that's the thing that would disappoint me. Uh, Mayo will be in the last four of the of the All Ireland because that's just the way it is. Uh, you know, they are physically stronger than most of the teams that they're playing. They'll find themselves in the All Ireland semi final, but it's it's probably you know déjà vu.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, they haven't been a great league team, you know. The, the, this the the team that we've seen over the last four or five years have been based on playing well in August and September. That would be the only slight caveat that I would that I would offer. But I mean, they've tried. You know, guys like Fergal Boland was very good against Ross Common, for instance. Yeah. And we just, you know, he he, he Connor Loftus. But these guys, they're not showing us enough in February and March and April to suggest that when the time comes, Jason Doherty won't still
5: be playing. At number twelve for Mayo in the championship. Yeah, but do do, you, this is a genuine question. Do you think they're getting the opportunity to prosper? Like like well, thirty five minutes here, thirty five minutes there. For me, you know, if you, if you if you truly believe in a player, then give him his head for for those amount of games. Especially when Mayo look as if they're not taking the league. You know, the league is not to be all end all for them. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, it's 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 interesting because said this a very similar argument is is happening in Kilkenny. Hurling at the yeah. moment that when the old when the older guys don't play well, you're leaving the younger lads out to dry and they were subsequently crucified. The new players, as in, they're just not up for it. They don't have the fight, whatever. Then yesterday you watched them, Richie Hogan, T.J. Reid play really well, and these guys all of a sudden, all the, as Henry Shefflin was saying on television last night, all they have to do is play an average game and they look much better. So I mean, I I think that you know if you're if you're winning, these guys getting little cameos, thirty-five minutes, forty, it seems like. You know they're they're being blooded gradually, and that's the basically if results are going well, it it kind of doesn't matter. However you do this, but when the results don't go well, the older guys are getting criticised, like Andy Moore, for instance, who has probably been Mayo's nearly best player in the league so far this year. Because what's he still doing there? You know, and then there's then the younger guys are also getting criticised because they're not showing enough. I mean, and like that's kind of it. You can very quickly get into a situation with these league games coming one after another after another. Where the pressure mounts
5: in all areas of of your team, not just on the the, the new guys coming through. Yeah, and Rochford's not on, under any pressure. Like he doesn't seem to be under any pressure. You know, to win a league, he doesn't seem to be on the under any pressure from the supporters or anything like that. But surely from within, you know, he has to be thinking. You know, what's different from last year? Yeah. So like, one one thing I would say though,
0: like in relation to blo- trying to blood a few new players. I don't really see why Lee Keegan is playing. You know, why he came on against Roscommon after, you know, 40 minutes. And then why he was playing from the start uh, last on Saturday night. Because what, what's
2: wrong with Lee Keegan? One of well, the best he, players. Their best know,
0: player, probably. He's best player in Ireland as of, you know, November 2016. But, I mean, he's been playing all winter with his club. Uh, you know Lee Keegan. Like, of you know, it's not like Lee Keegan is a, you know, a form guy. Or, you know, he needs to play his way back into... Like, the guy's just... A machine. He's just Mm. an absolute machine. Like, where's Jeremy Connolly? You know, he's uh, sitting at home resting himself because he's been playing with Vincent for the last four or five months. I mean, it just... It makes sense to me for Lee Keegan to just have had the last three weeks off and play the last league game and make sure that he's ready for a, a big summer. Because when the time comes... Mayor are going to be looking to Lee Keegan. I,
5: I definitely couldn't agree more with I that. I mean, you've
0: been in this situation loads yeah, of Yeah, no,
5: and I definitely agree with that. And I think what you'll what you'll see with Jim Gavin and the way he u- he will use Damien Connolly, he'll take him on prob- possibly the next day or, or the game after, because there's a two-week break now, which will make a big difference from a Dublin point of view. But uh, Connolly will probably be introduced maybe in the next game or the game after, and then he'll probably play the last game and then he'll probably play the league final. And he'll be introduced in that way. Lee Keegan was straight back in last week. He was back into, uh, well, to say that Mayo's performance the other night was abject would be would have to be mm-hmm. an understatement. And the, and the one last thing I would say about Mayo is that I still am not sure exactly what way they're playing. And I've watched them in every league game so far this year. And I th- I feel as if they've played differently in all of those games. Maybe that's deliberate, though. Maybe, 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 he's, absolutely. He's, maybe they're just, maybe they're just going out and their powder a little yeah, bit. Yeah, maybe, maybe that is the case. But if I was, if I was looking to, to if I was from a male point of view, to say, I'll be going for the preseason competition, and then I'll be, I'll be having a crack at the league because they've tried it every other way. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They have tried it every other way. Why not go and try and win the league and see if you can, you know, if that, you know, is the formula for winning in all Ireland? Because I say everything else has more or less been tried from their point of view.
0: Are Dublin now a better defensive team than offensive
5: team? Um, at the start of the league, they definitely have been, and they're stubborn. And uh, if you want to go defensive, they'll go defensive. I just think they have. I just think they have super athletes, and I just think whatever way you want to play it, they can play it. Um, I think that Jim Gavin has. Probably tried about, he's probably started about 22, 23 players so far. He's probably used about 26, um, and he's finding out things about them all the time. But uh, the thing about when you talk about them defensively, how they now transfer uh, defence into attack, they're they're better than anybody at that. They're even better than Throne, they're better than the Originals, they're better than the Donegals, you know, they're better than
2: any of those teams at doing that. Yeah, it's interesting because. they've had such a stream of players coming in over the last five or six years, really, that there's almost a sense sometimes with the forwards anyway that there's a a bit of interchangeability about it. But you get a guy like Fenton, for example, and he stands out, I think he's, for me anyway, he stands out from almost any of those other young players have come through yeah, he's never, he hasn't lost a game yet he has, has to he? lose a game for Dublin so my question is when he, they do lose a game will Brian Fenton's psychology he just, he just just world fall apart, fall apart. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. The, what was that
5: if I was in that changing room I'd be saying boys this is absolutely no coincidence since I come around <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You've all up laughs> since I, I come around, around players, papers, so yeah. You, yeah. you look after me Yeah, you know, well done um, Bernard yeah, keep it up <laughs> over there like, old man well, sort of uh, thing. Uh, the thing I actually the thing I, I, I consistently and you will have heard me Talk about uh, one of the things I disliked about the about the Dublin forward line was the fact that they found it very difficult to link up. Mm. They are very very difficult to to uh, to finish goal chances. They're still butchering a few chances, but they definitely are playing more so as a team, and they're always looking for the player in a better position
2: and. Jesus, they're a dangerous animal when they're doing that. They Do get a chance now. Murph tells me to equal Kerry's record thirty-four match unbeaten run back in the late nineteen. Sorry, that's from
0: nineteen twenty-nine to nineteen. You knew that. Didn't you? I should have yeah, thought, yeah, I
2: missed yeah. a key <laughs> chance there <had> to ask <laughs> what was the record. And just say it
5: was me that actually told Murph.
2: <laughs> <laughs> is that the kind of small little quirk that can help keep you motivated for the next league game? Absolutely. Yeah, th- you might as well have a think about why not go for this.
5: Yeah, and absolutely,
0: and and. The next league game is in Tralee against Kerry, by yeah. the way, which, you know, it's yeah. a nice little press on to yeah, it. Yeah,
5: no, I, I think that's a game that, that everybody's looking forward to. Why it's in Tralee and not Clarney, I'm not 100% sure, because I'm pretty sure if you took this game to Croke Park, you'd get 60,000 of it. McConville slams Tralee. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Kerry Mayo so far. Uh, and Cork to come, don't worry,
0: we'll save our hour for that too.
5: Well, I definitely think that that's something, yeah, because you need all the motivation you get, because... When you're playing league games and you're in the position that Dublin are, it's very easy for you to get sloppy and take your A off the ball. Um, and they haven't. And possibly this is something which has been in the back of their mind. But Yeah. The
0: one thing I would say about the league that we've watched so far is that the Dubs struggle to the extent that they've struggled against Throne and Donegal against teams who have gone very defensive. I mean, the, the, and the idea of this ahead of the championship it's not really good news. <laughs> like going toe to toe doesn't work, but going ultra ultra defensive has a chance of working, which doesn't really, you know, encourage a lot of teams to have a pop
5: at Dublin. Well, take take the take the Tyrone game out of it for a second, right? So the the games that they played away from home, teams have gone ultra ultra defensive, and it's much more difficult to break that down and. The provincial stale pitches. They that they played against Tyrone. I think both teams just had a complete uh, malfunction. I mean, I was at that. It was yeah. it was to say it was poor. It was, it was really really poor stuff. Just um, a lot of individual unforced errors. Um, Tyrone had loads of chances, and Dublin had loads of chances. and Just couldn't kick the thing over the bar. And when you can't do that, you've got a you've got a real issue. But is that something we're going to see for the for the whole of the summer? Of course it is. You know, most teams are going to go ultra defensive against them, and uh, there's some teams who will be able to do that, and there's some teams that Dublin will crush as a result of that. But the likes of Tyrone and that will see that as an opportunity to um, to get at Dublin. I still think there's, I still think there's a huge amount of improvement in Dublin from where they're at right now. I still think they're only operating at sixty
2: percent. The standout result of the weekend came in Division 2 Cork being beaten by Clare for the first time in the league in more than 20 years although is it even a standout result anymore is is Cork losing to Clare that big a shock I don't think it's a it's a I don't think it's a massive surprise uh,
5: Cork, Cork being beat like that I don't think it's a massive surprise in Division 2 because everybody just seems to beat everybody in mm-hmm. Division 2 this sounds stupid but I question the hunger of the teams that, to go to Division 1 because Correct. whoever goes to Division 1 we'll probably come back down.
2: They'd be looking at Roscommon or something this year and thinking why what's the point? Well the they'd
5: be looking at Roscommon and Calvin.
0: Yeah. Kevin you know? yeah, Kevin Walsh was asked about it on Goal Bay FM last week and about promotion <coughs> and he said well that's you know, that's talk for the terraces, you know. Which, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that's the basic <laughs> requirement. But surely it's like the only thing you're talking about in the dressing room. I mean if you're playing in the league the the idea is to win every game which means that you get promoted. I mean, I, I I thought that was pretty odd, but you know, I think
5: I think the likes of Clare are probably naive enough. <laughs> if that's right. if that if it's okay to say that to go up yeah. because they probably say we want to play Division One football. If you look at all the rest of the teams in that division, they've all had a small taste of it and they thought. Hmm, well, I'm goal not I sure if I want yeah. to go back there. Well, Gola haven't been there now I think for seven years, and it's like, I was at Gola Mead yesterday.
0: Uh, Meade beat Gola by a point with a goal in the last few minutes Gola need to be in Division 1 because they've been in that yeah. division scrapping out games winning games by a point losing games by a point drawing like we're the draw masters you know yeah. three draws in seven games last year Gola need to get out of there and test themselves even if it's only for one or two years like even last year Tyrone were in Division 2 yeah. as of this year like you would have thought Cork going back down there okay they're the quality team that you know will get you know 10 or 12 points and then everyone else scrap out for the for second position cork obviously are, are imploding as a as a intercounty force so all these teams are there is no standout team so if you have any ambitions whatsoever if you are galway or meath and meath obviously losing to down last 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 week was just a horror result then you have to you have to aim to get the hell out of there yeah. even if it is only for one year and you know it, The big teams do take their eye off the ball from time to time in Division 1, you know, as Tyrone did two years ago. So you've got to give yourself a chance to play at least two years in Division 1. And that's the only way you're going to improve.
5: And I think, I don't know if you agree with me on this, but I think of all those teams in Division 2, Galway probably are the best place to... Probably. Yeah, I mean, I would say so. Like like Kildare, I'd still fancy them to come back down if they went up though.
0: I would I would think so too. But at the same time, you still have seven games where you're improving yeah, every week. You know, absolutely. and and like and your your the your comment about the ambition of those teams, absolutely right. I mean, at some stage you have to go up there, and if you have to take five or six beatings, then you're just going to have to do it because that's the whole idea. The the more often you play against teams of the quality of Dublin and Kerry and Mayo and Donegal and Tyrone, the it's a fast track to getting up to their level I mean there's no point talking about Division 2 as well listen anything above you know staying in the division is a bonus I mean, you
2: you gotta go for it yeah no, I agree with that we skimmed over Cork a little bit there just last word on them no surprise at all that no surprise to- at all yeah. <clears throat> they need a couple of things the
5: first thing they need is they need an outside manager the, the last three managers I've had have all come from the same management team have all been involved in the same management team and how, as even at administration level, did you watch over that and you let that happen? Uh, it, it, to be honest, it seems to be you know, I wouldn't say a, a lack of interest, but a lack of ambition. There certainly is a lack of ambition in Cork mm-hmm. that if they that if they feel as if that's you know as good as they can as good as as it can be for them.
0: Well, just remember at Congress, that Frank Murphy did stand up and say Cork are leading the way when it comes to playing their fixtures off. So, best yeah. practice. Well, <laughs> well, bully for them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Ocean, good to chat, thank you. Thank you.
3: And he is my second captain. Second captain? Uh-huh. That's a humorous competition. I thought I... Important men for
5: my selection.
2: Murph, where are my manners, I never asked you. Are you shocked that Clare, twenty seventeen Clare, can beat Cork in a league game?
0: Well, yeah, uh, a little surprise, uh, Owen. And I, I, I think that we, we Cork, have earned that much respect. I think over the course of the last, I don't know, thirty years of
2: being a reasonably good football team. Yeah, but if you, even if you base it on last year's results, yeah, if you took an alien, Murph who'd never seen Gaelic football to take the biggest sporting cliché, even bigger than the clichéd moment where fighters embrace after a fight. Took an alien, stuck them down in the middle of... Of Division 2. Division 2, you'd say...
0: Drew a line between Galway, both uh, of... of, And both of those teams have played Galway, away from home. Mm. Cork really should have beaten Galway in the first round of the league. Galway hammered Clare last week in round three of the league. Uh... So, I mean, you would still have said that Cork are, be- are better than Clare going by, going by that logic. But, I mean, it is. I mean, to, not to go back again to the uh, uh, Congress, uh, Farrago and all the rest. But, I mean, the Clare football- there were Clare footballers telling us that, you know, the weaker counties need to be looked after in this, uh, <laughs> in this scenario. Clare are actually in the top eight now. You know <laughs> you like I I whatever you can't it's not that they can't talk about being a weaker county. They were in the All Ireland quarterfinals last year. They're now uh second in division in division two. So they're in the top ten anyway. Yeah, but I mean if you cross reference hmm. last year's championship with this year's league, which is pretty much what you would do if you were drawing up the top eight, then Claire are already in it. So I mean, what whatever about any other county uh belly aching in the wrong about a weaker county, Clare... Claire have no they, they have no further grounds For argument And that's because of Their consistent excellence In the league uh, And their excellence In the championship last year So I'm sorry I'm not going to listen To
2: any more Claire footballers Talking to me about Weaker counties Want to know what's in today's Second Captain's football podcast?
4: That's Yeah <laughs> They have asked
1: for that Really Well, yeah, you can laugh I'm a little bit of an idealist
2: But having said that I want to be like me
1: you don't know what you're talking about. What well, yeah. have you done? Just to, like to stay
4: alive for oh, six, I'd alive for six right, days. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to oh, you now. I'm down Twampfield, and we'll see. them. not
5: right? know what you're doing down here, you Shawnee man.
1: <laughs> well, and the biggest story today, something we spent most time talking about, is Alexi Sanchez, and whether he is, um, you know, that was
2: me tr- trying to whistle. By the way, I can't I, I, whistle.
0: I honestly thought that was some sort of mechanical malfunction. You looked
2: over at Simon there and thought. Is this okay? Does this have to be edited? No, that's my attempt at a whistle. Someone's brought an extremely squeaky wheel into the office. Sorry, Ken, my apologies. I half-whistled during your speech.
1: Is he the beating heart of Arsenal Football Club? Or does he need to learn something about manners? (laughs) Um, Is really what it's it's all about. Um, Arsene Wenger actually said today, completely false. Stories you've heard about Sanchez falling out with me, completely false. I left him out because I wanted to kick long balls to Olivier Giroud. So, if you believe that, then you should listen to the podcast, because you're wrong. <laughs> and uh, we talked a bit about that, Miguel was at London Colony to see Arsenal Wagner today, so we, hear, we heard a little bit from him from the, from the ground as Excellent well.
2: Excellent trolling there, Ken, for listeners to get them to listen to the football podcast. Today, The Guardian's Donald McRae has written a number of brilliant boxing books, most recently A Man's World. Good to chat to you again, Donald. How are you?
3: I'm good, thanks, Alan. Uh, How are you?
2: Not bad. Yeah, this fight, I think it's fair to say, has divided opinion. Uh, it's either a heroic scrap between two injured warrior warriors or a total farce between two loudmouth idiots. Which side do you fall on?
3: Uh, I'm firmly on the fence on this one. I think there's uh, elements of both those arguments here. Certainly before the fight, um, I had a lot of ambivalence. And I was not going to buy it because especially what David Hay had been saying he was going to do to Tony Bellew. But, typical sucker, in the end, I coughed up the money and and we did watch it. Um, I slightly think it's more to the farcical element. Um, Sure, David Hayes showed a lot of heart, as did Tony Bellew. But um, it it was a bit of a a, a bizarre evening, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it was. And the fight itself, uh, in, in boxing terms, I guess the issue that a lot of people have with it is that there's one guy clearly on one leg for... Uh, about half of a fight, and the other fighter yeah. doesn't have the power to take the first guy out.
3: Yeah, and, and the second guy, Tony Belli, obviously, is certainly no no measure. He's not a heavyweight. Um, and David Hay wasn't a heavyweight for many years, but then bulked himself up. But he is an old, old fighter who hasn't actually had a fight of consequence since 2011. So I think we come to it with, with that, um, not cynicism, but just knowledge that these were two... Limited heavyweights, but having said that, um, I think David Hay, especially after his debacle against Klitschko in 2011, where he blamed his defeat on a, a small on his small toe being injured, he did show a lot of heart on Saturday night. But I, I didn't quite go to the point. I've seen some people saying these were two gladiators, and this is one of the finest nights ever of boxing. I certainly didn't feel that.
2: The post-fight interviews were with the usual fighters hugging each other and telling each other how great they were what did you make of all this given what had gone before
3: it, it was totally what i expected i mean hay can be so distasteful and he does it to, to sell a fight but i did feel he he went a little bit too far in, in the build-up to this one um but of course they're talking about uh, possibly fighting again i can't personally see that being a huge fight because this fight was so, sold on the animosity between the two guys and now they're such big pals again um, I I just don't think it would work I think um, uh, Tony Bellew will go and and attempt another fight at heavyweights and I hope David Hay just uh, eases off into the sunset This
2: idea of these people like David Hay selling pay-per-views selling fights Mm. by talking the way they did calling people retards talking about essentially implying that they're going to inflict real Incapitate damage him,
3: put him in hospital yeah. put him in hospital all,
2: all this sort of stuff you know in a lot of other walks of life most of them you'd be called to account or maybe even lose your job for saying such well maybe besides President of the United States of America at the moment but <laughs> you, you, there'd be a lot of people who would refuse to support you there could be boycotts that sort of thing the rules for society seem to bend for boxers and for yeah. UFC fighters in the build up uh, I, don't, I don't know if you agree with that
3: Well I do and I the, the, sort of uh, I bend myself because as I said earlier um, i sort of made up my mind I wasn't actually going to buy this fight because I didn't expect it to be as sort of bizarrely compelling as it turned out to be but I also thought I should actually just make a stand and, and with my own uh, 16, 19 not coughed it up this time but yeah, I guess we are just people who, who like boxing, we've heard it, we've become inured to it in a way um, but I don't think it'll ever change because this is just the nature of a of a dirty business, unfortunately.
2: Why did you decide to shut out the 16 pounds? Or whatever? It was?
3: Well, because of my, my son, who uh, while his teenage sisters were doing other things, he's, he's coming up for 16 and said, oh, he, he was quite fascinated to watch this fight, uh, which was a quick excuse for me to say, oh, I'll well, go on, man, let's get it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I would have got it anyway, but I, he was keen to watch it. And he was saying to me, "Oh, this is kind of weird night." And then I started to explain to him. He had heard about Mike Tyson biting Evander Holyfield's ear, of course. But I told him about the night um, when Holyfield and Bo had fought in a world heavyweight ty- title fight. They were two genuine heavyweights, and the man jumped off his glider. He's called Fan Man, and um, mm-hmm. descended on Bo and Holyfield. Uh, Holyfield. So my son, I think, uh, his eyes kind of opened even more, and he said, oh, so this is kind of normal. So I said, unfortunately, for heavyweight boxing, just another bizarre night. Um, yeah, but then you do... But he seemed to enjoy it.
2: Okay, but you do have people like Anthony Joshua who doesn't have to resort to this kind of thing to exactly. sell tickets. So does Hay get a bit of a free pass? I mean, he's, he's over the years, there's stuff he says, not, not, not just a free pass, there's almost like a something is built up around him. Listen to what David Haye has said now, his top five most hilarious David Haye comments, and he's talking about gang rape and this kind of stuff. Yeah, why know, why yeah. is it that Haye is humoured in the way that he seems to be?
3: I think he has this veneer of charm and sophistication, and he can be quite an amiable guy, but actually, yeah, when you think about all the things he has said, I do think he should be put to account. I partly think Haye has to do it because... Um, he's a decent heavyweight, but, um, I think this is one way he can keep his name in the limelight. Anthony Joshua will find out a lot about him, but he is a formidable, um, a specimen is a heavyweight, and so far he hasn't needed to do anything to sell a fight because people want to see him because he's got genuine power and he, he seems to have all the tools that are needed. Hay, I think, has just um, had to have the showbiz element and the and the bad mouthing of opponents to build up this mystique about him. But you look at little guys like Carl Frampton, Leo Santa Cruz, much smaller men, you know, those were genuine fights and they did not need to talk about each other in this demeaning way. So um, I wish it would change and people would take more of an example from Frampton and Joshua, but unfortunately being boxing will always get the David Hay kind of comments being made
2: Yeah and you talk about the demeaning comments which you made but the particularly in light of the recent enough death of Mike Towell in the yeah. boxing world in a sport like this McGregor does this as well he talks about yeah. wanting to I'm prepared to kill this man this sort of thing and the build yeah. up to a fight you know this has been going on, as you say it's been going on for a long time I don't think we're going to sit around here and come up with a solution to it necessarily no. but it, it does seem that in, in, in so many others, other areas of society, you have to be a little more careful about what you say anymore and, and not so much in this one.
3: Well, and this is the thing that puzzles me about David Hay because there was another awful incident less than a year ago. Nick Blackwell yeah. um, fell into a coma after fighting Chris Eubank Jr. And David Hay showed enormous um, kindness and gave a lot of money to Nick Blackwell to help him in his convalescence. And Hay made this point then about, you know, this is people sort of think boxing is a circus, but actually people's lives are on the line. But then he comes to his own fight, and he, he perpetuates this kind of these dark comments. And, yeah, for an intelligent man, sometimes I just uh, am <laughs> bewildered a little bit by David. Do,
2: yeah, just sorry to go across it. Donald, just Does he do it? purely to sell tickets, or from what you know of him, does he actually enjoy saying these kind of things? Is there a part of him, uh, everybody has their dark side, is there a dark side in David Hay that is genuinely there, and this is the chance for him uh, in in the build to a fight to give vent to that side of himself?
3: I I think so, and also I think the fact is Hay, um, look I haven't spoken to him for a couple of years, Mm -hmm. but certainly when I knew him well say five to ten years ago he has a genuine passion for boxing he's the kind of guy who would sit down and say oh did you see that fight and he would analyze it talk about the mystiques of fighters and he was seduced in a way by by some of the comments made not only of course he loved muhammad ali but he liked the bad boys of boxing and i think this appealed to him and he's always sort of had this persona that he can switch on and off but um, is, is it more than just is it more than just
2: a persona, though? Is what I'm saying is is does he actually mean what he says when he calls Tony Belli's fans that kind of thing?
3: And I, I personally don't think he does. I think it is a persona. Um, uh, but that's that's only my own personal mm. view. Um, I, th- I think he's just churning it out in the heat of hyping a fight. I don't personally think um, he wanted to to put Belli into a hospital. I just think it was cheap words.
2: All right, listen, we we'll leave it there. Uh, always good to chat, Donald. Thanks a million.
3: Thanks so much, Hud. <laughs> <laughs> don't
2: be rumble, blow like like a Don't
4: like we'll give a damn about the money,
2: being shot, take the title, take it all, and we'll go to jail tomorrow. This chump has got everybody scared. Scared of what?
4: You told him I don't have nothing but a prayer.
2: Well, chump, all I need is a prayer, because if that prayer reached the right man, not only will
4: George Fullman fall, the mountains will fall. Oh my God, he's won the title back at 32! This Rashon boxer is something to see, and the heavyweight championship is his destiny. You saw him on television, there was no one more beautiful. You saw him walking down the street, he was a beautiful thing to see. He moved around the ring, he had style and class, he was tall and good looking. Everything you'd want from a boxer, raffler, football player. And to be honest with you, he belonged to the arts because he had porn, poetry, he had it all. Specimen, fighting machine.
1: You know, he was handsome, he was articulate, he was funny, charismatic. I was whooping ass
2: too? Yeah, I think you've probably come to the same conclusion as us. The level of build-up and uh, forced animosity wasn't quite at the the same of the same standard as the great Muhammad Ali there, but such is heavyweight boxing now. Maybe all it needed to rescue it really was some celebrity firepower after the fight, and that came in the form of Jamie Carragher in Bellew's dressing room. I'm so good it's a better niche than bull-lat-lat. Fuck
5: off! It fucking was for
3: me, you twat! Lads,
2: fuck it uh, Simon's actually grimacing there at all that laughter. Can't quite take that much Scouse but laughter. But there's a really deranged laugh nah, in there. Nah, and, and are Can we... You, like, get... I'm so good! It's <laughs> a better niche than bull-lat-lat.
0: Fuck off! It fucking was for that me! That's here. character. That's a, is that character?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds God. almost um, evil. <laughs> you know, like it, sa- it sounds like it's the cackle of an evil sidekick of some kind. You know, or like, a witch. Can you actually play it one more time? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: oh,
1: God, that was, uh, well, it looks like they are enjoying themselves in, in the dressing room after it. You can hear how happy Tony Belly is. And good luck to him, I say.
2: Katie Taylor fought on that card as well in the fight directly before Hey Bellew. If you didn't watch it, you might have seen the fifth round stoppage since then. She was sensational, to be honest about it. Comfortably the best performance of of the three fights she's had so far. First time, she says herself, that she's had a proper training camp. Now, admittedly, her opponent was... Rugged and durable as opposed to skilled in any particular way. Monica Gentile, an Italian, who came in as a late replacement, was almost tailor-made for Katie. She just kept coming forward, but with very limited speed and movement. That said, Katie was sharp and powerful and not afraid to slug it out. Carl Froch, I think it was, in co-commentary for that fight, seemed actually quite surprised about how powerful Katie was and how... Gung ho, she was in going for a stoppage. There, he said he didn't realize she had that in her locker. So, certainly, she impressed a lot of people in that one. And, I'd like to see her fighting for that world title soon. That's pretty much it for this podcast, I think. Thanks, Kieran. Thank you, Owen thank you, Ken. Thanks very so thank much, Ken. You, Owen,
1: thank you, want to thank you, Kieran. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. The phone is that? That's the second time it's gone on. never
3: go home, they never go home, they
4: never go home.